Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Canem Rinse Podcast. This is Volume 12, Issue 563, and today we're going to be talking about Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. Joining me, Leah Haydu, in Issue 563 are Chris O'Regan. Hello. And Rich Davison. Chaos. <laughs> hey, I, I feel like we should all just kind of be yelling chaos. In different, like, points. intonations, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I could indeed do that, but I'm still recovering from the experience. So I just felt, <laughs> I, I, instead I blurted out a, a squawked hello, which I thought was more appropriate. Well done. So, first of all, we're going to put a spoiler warning right up top for Stranger of Paradise, uh, because there is a lot of story. Uh, how much this story does or does not make sense or cohere will probably vary with everybody's uh, experience and we'll talk about that as we go but regardless of how you feel about the story there is quite a lot of it so if you are interested in the plot of Final Fantasy Origin then yeah just be warned that this is gonna this is gonna go deep we're gonna talk all about chaos and where chaos is and how chaos happens and chaos 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 so this is your spoiler warning please uh, pause the podcast and go play the game if you uh if you are interested in doing so and haven't yet so what is stranger of paradise final fantasy origin well according to squareenix.com it is a third person hardcore action rpg in which players face numerous challenges to bring the light of the crystals back to cornelia a kingdom conquered by darkness so uh yeah this is a Air quotes remake, or retelling perhaps would be a better way to put it, of the first Final Fantasy. So Final Fantasy 1, all the way back on the Nintendo Entertainment System, that that is the, the story that's kind of the basis for where we're starting out in this game. And you'll see some characters, uh, notably the uh, Princess Sarah, as well as her parents, her kind of royal family, and villains such as the aforementioned Chaos and the uh, Astos, and um, as well as uh, Bika, who is a pirate captain that you meet early on. These are all characters from Final Fantasy 1, and you will kind of see how they fit into the plot of the game and kind of how they are I'm sure that they would like to think you this is a just kind of a twisted type of thing, uh, a twisted retelling. And I, I guess it's, it is sort of. Yeah, so it's like an we'll, addendum, uh, isn't it? I mean, we'll get into the yeah. plot as we get go it's, through it's it. It's certainly a telling. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, yes. I'd like to start this off with a little bit of feedback that we have uh, with a uh, piece from Andrew Elmore from our forum who says, Jim Yarmish's Strangers in Paradise Final Fantasy Oranges is the kind of game I fall in love with at first sight. What a beautifully, gleefully stupid work of art. A celebration of the PlayStation 3 and 35 years of Final Fantasy. I don't care for fan service one bit, but Stranger, Pair of Dice, won my heart anyway by turning all of its levels into such clever abstractions of their respective game themes that it became less a series of references to previous games and more a series of angles on this fractured multiverse of temporal paradoxes woven together with chaotic abandon. Crucially, I feel a bit too emotionally close to this game to be able to talk about it with any kind of potency in the acceptable length of a forum post. So instead, I'm going to share the lovely final paragraph from Jackson Tyler's brilliant review of the game for Paste Magazine. 
Ultimately, Strangers of Paradise is perfect, not because it's the greatest game or one of the richest and most exciting tales they've ever told, but because it's a clear-eyed reckoning with the limits and faults of the series. It's just a mid-budget 7 out of 10 JRPG with some of the worst level design you've seen in your damn life, some characters you really like, a few moments that'll make you sad, and a few moments that'll make you cheer. The Final Fantasy fandom often devolves into factional war about when the series started being good, stopped being good, and started being good again. Stranger of Paradise is a needle to pop that bubble, showing the series in the light of day, just as some pretty good video games made by a company. There's just a hero in a silly hat, and at the end they play a great song. What could be more Final Fantasy than that? Final Fantasy 1 is a game that, the original Final Fantasy 1, that is, is a game that is... Not exactly limited in its storytelling, but it's kind of confined, right? It's not as complex as some of the later entries, and not even that much later. Once you get to about, like, four, it, it starts to really kind of expand into where it's gotten a reputation for being complex and in in many cases almost incomprehensible to to many people. So I... I I wonder if perhaps the reason that they decided to start with Final Fantasy 1 is just that there was so much room for expansion and for interpretation. 100%. To kind of- yeah. I would argue that exact same thing. You know, it is it is one of the most um, limited in its storytelling, certainly quite formulaic. You know, you've got the four kind of greater demons that you need to go through, the Warriors of Light. You've got their corresponding... Um, I don't know, like elements that they refer to as well. So it seems like there's most scope there to improve upon it and actually flesh it out a bit. So I'm not surprised that they returned there. I do not remember um, the original Final Fantasy having the characters carrying around vibrating eggs, but (laughs) there's also a lot more fist bumps in this one. A lot Um, of fist pumping. Yeah, a lot lot, lot of... In my uh, my notebook that I um, keep while you know I'm I'm going through games, I uh, I had a fist bump counter and by the end it was um, eight and a half. Um, the half is when um, somebody I, I it's either Jack or somebody who Jack is with goes to fist bump and is just kind of denied. He's just left hanging. So eight <laughs> and a half fist bumps. One of the fist bumps is when he fist bumps the darkness at the end of the game. So <laughs> lot a lot of fist bumps. There is metaphor. the point. There was the point where Jack does actually fist pump the air. Yep. So he fist bumps the air, and because of everyone else in his team is dead, he both the So you know yep. that might be one of them. As he might have been, is it a half? I don't know. More like a spiritual <laughs> fist bump. Like fist bump. There you go. You know, up there's there a with, lot. Let's there's just, a lot. Uh, it's it's it's. Mean, it's we, can, a, we can definitely agree on that. It's an yeah. iconic gesture as far as this game is concerned. Absolutely. Um, But anyway, if you would like to hear uh, Kane and Rince's uh, thoughts on the original Final Fantasy, you can go back to the very beginning of our Final Fantasy series, which was in 2017, starting with Kane and Rince number 297, uh, back in 2017, which was uh, myself, Joshua Garrity, who's dead now. Uh, That's mean. He's not dead. He's (laughs) He's a busy man. He is a very busy man. Um, so it was myself, Joshua Garrity, Leon, and John, um, all of whom are uh, no doubt uh, huge fans of Final Fantasy Origin as well. I don't know why none of them are on this show. Um, 
Yeah, so that's that's kind of where we are we are sitting with the history. Uh, just <clears throat> to tell you a little bit about the game and how it came to be, it was published by Square Enix and developed by Team Ninja, who most I, I believe, and uh, keep me honest here, at that point their most recent release would have been Neo Two. Is mm-hmm. that right? That is correct. Yeah, almost to the day. Well, not to the day, but within this a few days, um, one year prior. Yes, so Team Ninja, uh, developers of uh, Neo, produced by Tetsuya Nomura, who, again, if you're a Final Fantasy fan, you've heard this man's name, uh, producer of the Final Fantasy series, as well as Kingdom Hearts. So he's had some experience with the crossover type of titles here. Uh, while this is not necessarily a crossover between different properties, it, it has some of those features. Uh, and then we also have Fumihiko Yasuda, who was the producer of Neo, Neo 2, and the Ninja Gaiden series. Um, it's, it's pretty big names that you see, like these are important people for their respective titles who are getting together to produce this. So, uh, it, I find that very interesting. Yeah. It, uh, it's, it's the big hitters from the flagship series for those two studios, isn't it? And as we go through the other notable, uh, contributors, let's say you can see where the I don't want to say quality. That's really mean, but maybe that they're not throwing the the kind of uh, best is an awkward um, comparison here, but maybe most not the prominent, most maybe? notable, uh, let's say, yeah. um, resource into the rest of the uh, areas. The uh, director credits go to Daisuke Inoue, who was the battle planner for Final Fantasy XIII. Uh, and then we have Hiroya Usada, who uh, is credited with Hyrule Warriors Legends and Fire Emblem Warriors. So um, there's a, uh, a a line there with many, many, many uh, people being fought at the same time. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm, I'm trying here. Nobumichi Kumabe, who uh, was the director of Warriors All-Stars. So um, yeah, maybe names that are not as familiar to many people, um, but, you know, they, they uh, have the background and... Yeah. Um, and responsible for a well-enjoyed series. You know those Musou games yeah. really shift numbers, so... I, it's it's kind of surprising that there really hasn't been a Final Fantasy Warriors yet. I Maybe I'm just putting ideas in Square's head. I'd <laughs> yeah, just throw it, them but, into the know. ether and see what falls Yeah, out. exactly. I'm just going to put this out here into the world. Uh, Final Fantasy Warriors. Uh, I mean, I guess there is um, the... Uh, um, 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 oh gosh, I'm losing it. That Final Fantasy fighting game. Um, ah, yes, of course. Um, Dissidia. Dissidia, thank you. Uh, and then uh, some of the music is a, a little surprising to me, um, just because I have not been especially familiar with uh, any of the credited composers here. Uh, obviously, they are building off of the work of other, air quotes, bigger name composers. I'm going to do air quotes a lot in this episode. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, Nobuo Uematsu is not one of the primary um composers credited on this game, even though a lot of his work, notably, as well as other Final Fantasy composers, is excuse me, uh, a lot of his work is um, kind of riffed on and, and worked through. Uh, the actual composers credited are Naoshi Mizuta, who uh, was credited for Final Fantasy XI Online, and Final Fantasy XV Episode Prompto, which is one of the DLCs for that game. Uh, we also have Hidenori Iwasaki, who uh, worked with Square in the Front Mission series, and also in the um, kind of tactics style game Chocobo Mystery Dungeon Everybody, which is a 
buddy, see, it's a pun, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, which is a more recent title that, like I said, is kind of a, a tactics type game yeah. uh, with a job system, which I haven't played, but um, it looks like something that would probably be right up my alley. So uh, maybe in the future. So we've had um, a multi-platform release on the 18th of March, 2022, and uh, that was for the Xbox One, the Xbox Series S and X consoles, and also the PS5 and the PS4. Um, there was a Windows release. I'm not sure if that was the uh, the exact same thing or which platform technically that was on. It was not Steam, because the Steam release uh, is actually still a few days off as of this recording, um, and will uh, will be out, I think, by the time you would hear this. Uh, so the Steam release will be 6th of April, 2023. So um, fingers crossed for compatibility with the Steam Deck, and um, we can all just go fight chaos on the go. It did okay, review-wise. Um, and honestly, I think that this is probably about what I would expect. Uh, there's a Metacritic score currently of 72% from 91 critical reviews and a 7.2% user score. So um, I, I think we already have gotten in our first uh, piece of correspondence that it's like a 7 out of 10 JRPG. And by God, if the scores don't currently back that up. So, um, yeah, dead dead right in that uh, that range, which I think it's important to remember, and I'm not going to get on a soapbox here, but, like, 7 out of 10, I don't think that's a bad thing. I know that uh, it's, you know, something that has uh, gotten to be interpreted as maybe not very good recently, but that's still, that's still a passing grade, man. We're not really sure what the sales are so far. Uh, it did sell over 57,000 physical units in Japan during its launch month, and the PS4 version sold over 36,000 units and ranked among the, 10, the top 10 best-selling games of that month. And then in the United States, Stranger Paradise was among the top 10 best-selling games of March 2022, which was its launch month. Um, however, it is the fourth lowest-selling Final Fantasy spinoff game. Uh, Rich, you actually did this part of the notes. Uh, do you happen to remember what the other lower games were? I'm just curious. No idea. Yes. But yeah, yes. we can probably have a guess. Dirge of Cerberus. Yeah. Um, Chocobo Dungeon. Mm. Take your pick. There's some real stinkers in there, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Pretty also, grim. you know, this is a bit of a profile exercise because I could say Final Fantasy X 2 and that would say a lot about my feelings of that Bite game, but tongue. maybe we won't. <laughs> you, you take back what you said about my game. Wash your mouth out. <laughs> We have not yet gotten into our histories, and I'd like to take a pause and do that now. Uh, Chris, I'd like to start with you, because I, I I, think that Rich and I, well, I know that Rich and I share a lot of the same history, up to a point at least, at, at which we wildly diverge. So um, I, I don't really know what your history is with this game. So uh, could you fill us in, please? Please, yes. More than happy to. Um, I, I've always been a fan of JRPGs and know their origins and and that kind of thing, and have been playing a variety of both CRPGs, which is rarely stated these days, but that's a computer apparently, But um, and then and JRPGs. But um, so when I've always been fascinated by the offshoots of the main sort of like thoroughfare, uh, or that is the now epic uh, series of games that is Final Fantasy. And this one caught my eye. I saw it on the list. I was sadly not aware of his existence until I saw it on the spreadsheet, the mighty spreadsheet that is Kane and Vince's. I must, you know, it's just like, oh, what's that? And um, then I looked into it and went, oh, that looks interesting. 
um, I should I should experience that because I just another take on a very rote sort of well well trodden path, uh, an adjunct to if you like. That's what drew me to uh, Stranger of Paradise, and I'm happy I was drawn to it. I genuinely am. So I did buy a, actually well, a, a bit of a, a hard copy rather than a full of my PS5. Uh, I didn't download it because um, I do have all the Final Fantasy games in hard copy, everything from one right through to the current. Um, and so it sort of like sits and nestles amongst them lot. Um, uh, so yeah, that's really where I'm coming, where I came from with it. Is that I love action adventures. You know, then this is very much a dexterity based action adventure game. It really is, and that's uh, refreshing to see. Uh, that in the Final Fantasy game, I'm sure many people are yelling down a, a, their their, their um, podcast delivering device, going, "There's many dexterity based." Like, I'm sure there is. However, um, generally speaking, it's not often encountered in Final Fantasy games. So, uh, to have one so built around the story, a very core and origin story of Final Fantasy, uh, and uh, turn it into a very unique action adventure game with a heavy reliance on area area awareness, uh, positioning awareness, and um, uh, action economy. It, that's a, it's quite a thing. So, um, yeah, that's that's what drew me to to uh, Stranger of Paradise. Nice. Do you have any experience with the, uh, with the Neo games at all? No. I've played them a little bit, but the most I've ever experienced is actually watching someone stream it because... It's a very stream-friendly game, that. Um, so, yes, and uh, I haven't actually delved into those. I do have them both, actually. Um, but um, it's something I need to get into, but I get distracted by shiny things all the time. But um, uh, knowing uh, the, the pedigree and the, the, well, the origins, is that word again, of the, of the creators of A Stranger of Paradise, it doesn't really surprise me that it is the way it is. Very true. Uh, Rich, I, I mentioned that you and I have um, kind of a shared history with part of this, um, but you are probably, well, you are definitely the one of us who has the most experience with the Neo half of this. So um, what has your experience been with Stranger of Paradise? Yeah, I was destined to get this game uh, for a number of reasons, I guess. Uh, in terms of timing of release, it was three days after my birthday. It was a fairly svelte month in terms of things to do. So uh, I was delighted to find that my wife had picked me up a copy of this. And yeah, I mean, where do I start? So um, if you've heard the Neo podcast, you probably are acutely aware of how much I enjoy that game. I think it's an outstanding title. And I think the sequel, Neo 2, is among one of the best games I've, I've ever played. And that's not meant to be kind of hyperbolic it's just because of of my tastes so when the occasion arose that the makers of neo or at least the kind of pedigree and the kind of dna that made neo were going to make a final fantasy game are you kidding me it's like two of my um loves combining into to one of the greatest things ever and then to put the icing on the cake as it were um it was a co-op game and i know you and i had probably spent a long long time like looking for different number of co-op games to play we played neo together a couple of times i would have thought um it just seemed like the stars were aligning uh we had a fairly kind of and and not to kind of steal your history of course but we had a fairly kind of linear playthrough of that game mm-hmm 
I don't know what it was. It could have just been like uh, maybe some kind of fatigue, whatever the case may be. And then we kind of always vowed to pick it back up uh, at some point. And when you nominated it for, for this volume, it was the perfect opportunity to come back to it. I think we did a, a couple of sessions where we tried to almost like revisit it and, and work out the right way to revisit it without making a full playthrough again, because that, that's very much not my cup of tea, if you like. And it didn't quite work. I think there's some complexities and some, um, I don't know, suboptimal um, decisions that have been made as to how you engage with, with co-op as well. So our path diverged at the point that we were preparing for the show. Um, I left you to go away and try and pass the story and no doubt we'll find out how well he got on with that when we get to the plot and the scenario. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I went off on the deep end. Uh, I went for the platinum trophy and found it. Yeah, it, it just got that. I did the whole uh, end game content, the hardest difficulty, did all of the kind of level th- level 99 job uh, in, in the main game and did all of the, the bosses on the most difficult mode. And for me, th- that is the point that this game blossomed in exactly the same way that Neo did. Um, delighted to be on the show. Um, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings on this game. Um, and I'm really pleased that you nominated it. So my history starts out very similarly. Uh, yeah, we, we did, as, as Rich said, we did a kind of... Um, I wouldn't call it bare bones, but it was not a uh, a super in-depth playthrough. I think we were on maybe either the easiest difficulty setting or maybe one above that um, to just kind of uh, smash our way through uh, and, and to get the experience of the game in co-op. And um, then after uh, we finished that, I didn't really touch it again until it came time to prepare for the show and um yeah i i was more uh interested in well for the, it, it's a couple of things right i was more interested in kind of getting a better handle on the story uh because i did not feel like i had a super good one to begin with and also i i think that um I, had, I I did not feel comfortable jumping straight back into the gameplay because I felt like I had forgotten a lot of what I had learned over the course of our co-op playthrough. Mm-hmm. So it, rather than um, go back in and kind of continue to push the, the limits of what the game gave us, I went kind of the other direction, set the difficulty all the way down, and just kind of bashed my way through the storyline, trying to level up as many jobs as I could to see just what they would do, and also, like, paying closer attention to the story than I did the first time around to see if I could make any more sense of it, which, as I said before, eh, we'll get there, but um, I'm not, still not sure that I really did, but um, I think I picked up at least a few things that I I might not have gotten had I not done that type of playthrough. So um, yeah, I I also have played nowhere near the amount, but I have played both of the Neo games um, and and enjoyed them thoroughly. So I I have a little bit of background there, but um, yeah, I, I, I came to this more as a Final Fantasy game, I think, Um, not expecting it to play like one necessarily or play like a traditional one, but more just because that's what drew me to the game rather than it being a draw that it was made by the same people who made Neo. Um, So yeah, a little bit of a difference there, but um, I I think that hopefully all of our uh, experiences here will combine to something where we 
have a pretty good idea of what's going on. <laughs> um, fingers crossed. So, um, I'm going to talk about the development of the game a little bit. Uh, this is from a Jamatsu interview with uh, Tetsu Nomura on the inspiration for this game. This is a quote. I was thinking to myself about making my next game into one that featured action elements in which locations are conquered, rather than the kind with battles against characters. Some time passed without anything coming of it, but separately I was also thinking to myself about another plan for a new series of Final Fantasy titles, revolving around, quote, the story of an angry man. Brilliant. Mission accomplished, as far as I'm Yeah, concerned. I'll say. Boy. Check mark. He needs a hug. Well, he never gets one, does he? That's the problem. Anyway. The meaning behind the title was a mature, brutal take on the Final Fantasy series that would separate it from the rest of the franchise while retaining connections to it. The gameplay was designed to emulate Team Ninja's known style of challenging action combat. Team Ninja had previously worked with Square Enix on Dissidia Final Fantasy NT. So, this is kind of a weird combination, in my opinion. Um, Does it work? I think think so and i wonder what so so i wonder what the connective tissue is here i wonder if team ninja were engaged prior to the story emerging or if it was just a natural kind of leaning into the clustering of ideas and sort of talent to be able to bring that through it wouldn't surprise me if for example those ideas that tetsuya namura was talking about actually emerged prior to the kind of commercial relationships that were engaged with team ninja i think um that the inspiration is is pretty sparse. I'm not entirely sure what's meant by the story of an angry man, but I do think that actually they achieved the overall outcome of of you know the the, the kind of strap lines of what he wanted to to get there. I do also agree that it's an exceptionally violent game, <laughs> like not in yeah. a grotesque way, but in an incredibly brutal way. So if that's what they're going for, then it, it is a great big um, thumbs up for me. Yeah, mostly mostly th- things explode into crystals rather than exploding into like giblets but um there is also a fair amount of blood which i i think that there might be an option to turn off some of that um not really sure but um yeah there there is definitely a lot of um punching things so hard that they just pop like little loot pinatas so um yeah if if that's not this is an m-rated final fantasy game and there have not been many of those um i can only think of this and Type Zero are the only ones I can think of. There may be there may be another one that I'm forgetting, but I don't think so. So unusual for for this series. The the one thing I want to kind of pick up on as part of the quote though is this idea that he's talking about. Um, you know, we're defeating locations rather than individuals or you know identifiable characters. That's a, that's a, that's an interesting approach, um, and I do wonder if um, that singular ambition was to the detriment of the plot, which is almost inscrutable, in my opinion. Um, Like, I do get the feeling that you are conquering locations. Like, don't get me wrong, I think that's kind of quite clear. I think that's sort of follows quite naturally when you're playing through it. But when I had to go... So I went through, and I watched the same video about three times today just to try and pass some of the nuances of the story. And all I could think about was actually some of the locations hit harder and had like a longer lasting impression upon me than some of the 
I wouldn't say the characters, and there's not that many characters in this game as such, but the interrelationships between those characters. So I think those two kind of concepts clash in a bit of an unnatural way and uh, lead to a kind of murky overall story. And, and I see in the, the notes next that we're probably going to seg onto that. So maybe it's maybe it's best to keep my powder dry before we move. No, I mean, uh, we can we can actually um, just start bringing that in um, because there are... Um, the the concept be of of uh defeating locations as you say um and as he said is is really i i think that it's unique because i can't recall any other game having done something similar to this now of course final fantasy being such a long running series there's a lot to draw from but the locations that you go to are all more or less directly drawn from the 15 games uh, of the main series that have led up to this point. So, you know, you've got, um, without being, you know, just kind of direct transpositions. So I, I don't want to um, just read through every single one in order here, but uh, I, I do want to see uh, if there were, um, Rich, we can start with you because you mentioned that there were some locations that really stuck more than others. And I'm, I'm interested to hear what those were and kind of, why you think that was like just because you had stronger connections to those the games that they came from or something else well quite possibly but i think before i kind of go into that it's probably worth bringing in um just an observation that brian made um in in sort of slack at one mm -hmm. point because he, he didn't manage to make the show but he did say he was about 50 percent of the way through the game before he actually realized that some of these locations were cribbed from earlier Final Fantasy series. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's probably worth noting that it's not immediately apparent that it's a game that's looking to kind of lift and shift some of these locations from other areas. And I guess that's primarily because some of the regions that it's it's kind of pulling from are not the most um, pertinent or recognisable from the actual uh, games that they actually originated in. So the ones that stood out to me are, are the obvious ones. Like, I'm a huge Final Fantasy IX fan, so... The Wicked Arbor, which is the evil forest where uh, Zidane and the crew get petrified at the beginning of Final Fantasy IX, is is in there. I instantly recognise that one because it obviously plays with the Marlboros and all of the kind of petrification of some of the areas as well. And I guess the other one, because it is so alien and um, confusing and uh, recognisable, is the Terra Tortura, which is the floating continent from Final Fantasy VI. It's got that horrible kind of Giga-esque uh, biomechanical um scenarios in there so you know you look at them and instantly you're like okay I, I see what they're doing here i think however uh, in it it the the story is relevant almost in its entirety to final fantasy one so it's quite confusing to find that they've got these um settings and scenarios and levels if you like from other final fantasies it makes it very difficult to position and and, and almost really confusing as to to why they did that, what they're hoping to achieve and what the desired outcome is that they were hoping to get there. Because if it's in service of the actual plot, I'm not entirely sure that works. Mm. Chris, what about you? I was quite drawn to some of the scenes more than others. I actually found, because I could barely remember some of the, because I've played some of the earlier Final Fantasy games so many years before, I could only, it took like, uh, like Rich, I, I, I took a while to go. Oh, wait, hang on. <laughs> it's Brian, sorry. Oh, yeah, it's it's from that. And um, I, I more were um, um, like I say appealing than others. 
Um, I found the forest one just quite quite lovely, and maybe you know. Uh, so it's it's, but mm, whether they actually pulled it off or actually sort of reimagined a flat two D sort of scrolling thing into a glorious three D realized world. That's 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 for a discussion for another time, or maybe now I don't know. But um, yeah, I, it's some of it felt really really forced, but some of it didn't. Yeah, uh, and where it didn't, it worked way way better. So the theming of the area much more I preferred much more than the completely re- re- reconstruction of. Yeah, I think <clears throat> potentially one of the things that may have lent to that is that some of these areas are coming from games that were not technologically uh, able to do this or, mm. or chose not to do this even in, in some cases. F- this type of of um, design or this type of even just the graphical fidelity Um it it's a lot easier to in my opinion it's a lot easier to look at something like um i i don't i i can recall that that um when rich and i were playing co-op we kind of we kind of knew that that's what they had done that they had themed some of these levels but i i think it was almost in many situations more because of the music cues than it was because of the uh the areas uh that that we kind of were able to pick up some of what they were going for it's um, it's odd but, and and like in response yeah. to that, I know you're not finished your point. I just want to say this: no, like, go ahead. they haven't gone for the most recognizable areas on each of one of these games, which is makes it really yeah. it's kind of odd. Like, there's a lot of odd choices. Like the one that stands out to me is the Reference Wetlands, which is from Final Fantasy 13, and it's probably because I played Final Fantasy 13 quite recently. It's like yeah. that that is not the. I mean, that is what 0.5 percent of the game that you spend there. Like, what? Why would you? Why would you knowingly choose to do that? I know why they did it, of course. It's because there's a mechanic in there that allows you to switch between, um, you know, sunlight and uh, and rain and, and muck about with some of the environment. But it, it's just a really odd choice. Yeah. Uh, and um, just to continue what I was saying as well, like, if it, I think that it's easier to make something in this tool set or in this kind of game environment that looks similar to, for instance, the one that I thought did a really good job was um, the Final Fantasy X level, um, which uh, is is themed after Mount Gagazet, which is where you go. It's uh, where the Ronzo live, you know, like the big snowy mountain. It's easier to find something that will visually just call back to, yeah, that's that's what they were going for here. Um, or the the Final Fantasy XII level as well, the, uh, the Wraithwall's Tomb. Uh, if you're familiar with that, it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, I haven't played enough Final Fantasy XIV to know how the uh, the Final Fantasy XIV level matches up, but I bet it's probably something similar to where like you can tell sort of what they were going for, especially if you already know. But when you get to something like the Western Keep, uh, which is themed after a Final Fantasy II level, uh, Palamecia, like... There's no Final Fantasy II remake that's going to show you a 3D model of, you know, all of the the locations and kind of give you that really deep um, area that you can walk around in and and that you might recognize uh, as as there would be in some of the more modern titles. Yeah. So I I think it's interesting that they were able to kind of do that. I, 
it, it's it's odd though because it's almost like they clearly have these inspirations and these reference points in mind but it's so subtle almost that you kind of wonder why they did it if they didn't want it to stand out that much i don't think they were given free enough reign which is a weird sentence but um enough kind of creative control to be able to pull the big hitters from the series i think they were probably hamstrung a little bit and told to take subtle cues from different games in that regards um, which I think kind of overall makes for a slightly weaker product. However, um, I do appreciate that there is subtle nods to to other games. I think it it kind of is is quite a nice Easter egg if you've if you've got like any uh, history or I don't know any affection towards the other Final Fantasies. And in fact, actually, if I'm being brutally honest about this, I think this game is probably better if you jettison the plot and look at it as a kind of tour of final fantasy rather than its own individual game it's quite a quite an interesting thing a bit bit like dissidia who some of the makers of this game did have a history with you know if you pull from final fantasy lore and just make it a kind of like a like yeah it's like a a fairground tour ride it it's kind of interesting approach for that i do try to explain this how this comes about in in the story they do and they They do do make references to 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 many universes and that kind of thing so you know credits are credits due they they, they've they've thrown this together without any thought no um it's just uh yeah you go into one area and then another and they're just not related to each other at all and uh, it comes to realization why that is but uh yes and i do like the nods it's but some are pulled off better than others. So I'd like to use a piece of correspondence here. This is also from our forum, uh, from a correspondent called Megadirt, who says, I just finished this last night, and it's the worst game I've ever enjoyed. The colors are so oversaturated and visually sickening, and I feel as if the story is delivered like they had been having all the exposition conversations when I was at work. Any dialogue we were privy to is written right on the line between bad and so bad it's good. The effect of this is that if it is supposed to be sincere, it's terrible, and if it's supposed to be hyperbolic and silly, then it feels smug and stupid. However, I do think the best lens to view Jack through is the lens given to me by the Doom 2016 protagonist. He's not here for your bullshit story exposition. He's here to rip and tear cactars and take kitchen knives away from bald green lantern children. So, um, yeah, that's intended to lead us into visuals uh, with the talk of the colors and um, and and kind of how the everything looks there. But also, I just really like the image of bald green lantern children, which, uh, yeah, um, Jack, um, we kind of mentioned how uh, violent and um, and everything it is. Um, and that's absolutely true. But also when you fight tonberries if you go to do the move that turns things into crystal on a tonberry jack just kind of puts his hand on the tonberry's head and it it crystals and explodes it's very sinister isn't it yeah yeah there's there's some fascinating animations in this game um and and jack is uh, as as uh was mentioned before a very angry man um so yeah, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the visuals. Um, we kind of mentioned how the level designs are um, not directly taken from some of the earlier games, but are inspired by 
uh, some of the earlier games. And um, I, I want to kind of build from that and see how effective we really think that the level design is in a visual aspect. Like some games are very good at signposting and kind of leading you where you need to go. And I don't think this game is. So um, I, with that, I'm just going to drop that there and uh, and see what you guys think. Um, you know, pathfinding and finding a way around. Uh, it wasn't uncommon for me to go to yell at the screen. Where do you want me to go, game? Um, yeah. And that's my, my little vote. Some That did happen. Um, and I think I had to use a guide once when I was in Terra Torture <coughs> um, because um, there was three sort of islands had to explode and I couldn't find a third one. But for me, um, I, I found my anchor point was the next set of cubes, as they called them. Oh, look, cubes. <laughs> oh, look, there's the cubes. We're going to talk about sound later on and how your, oh, your yes. fellow party members titter tatter but we hold that for now um but um yes uh it's i found that at my anchor point i would say where's the arrow where's oh there it is and uh, i was sort of like guide myself towards that there were some fascinating little puzzles for all areas really to try and navigate your way through they'll put barriers up they'll put plants in your way they'll put all they do weird and wonderful things to try to make it a little bit more interesting whether they're successful or not, I, I do not know. But um, uh, yes, um, could have done better, I think. But then, then again, I think we'll be led by the nose because that then then have just been a you know side scrolling beat 'em up thing, which is not what I wanted to play. Yeah, I um I agree. Yeah, I, I don't really have much more to add to that. I think the levels range from. I, I think it's fairly perfunctory. You know, like it, it it's it's not especially inspired everything feels very formulaic in many ways i mean the visual aspects of it are quite interesting but each level feels like it could be basically reskinned in a different way and i think the levels themselves range from fine to just awful like really bad and i think it's at its best when the level is um recognizable uh it looks like something that you would be able to see in, in real life like a castle for example we've been through a billion of those in different video games but at worst it's levels that force you to warp between locations which basically mean that your sense of direction is all skewed um and you have very limited uh sort of signposting in order to take you different places um that's about it i don't think it's going to any win any prizes for its, its level designs that's for sure but um yeah, it could have, could have been better. I think that's where I land. I think that the levels are very pretty. I, I thought that this was a really good looking game. <clears throat> yeah. But I wish that there had been a map of some kind. I struggle with with games that don't have a map. 3D games in particular that don't have some kind of map. Like It doesn't necessarily even have to be a mini map, yeah. but something so that I can get my bearings a little bit better. Um, I I'm not... I'm not that great with directions, um, which I pause for Rich to laugh at me there because uh, yeah, he's played uh, enough co-op games I with me. I can confirm, too. you know, <laughs> I don't really know yeah. what else there is to say than that. I get disoriented very quickly in 3D environments, especially if the, the signposting is not kind of top-notch. And I think that there's a lot of 
I'm not even going to say reused assets, but there are a lot of areas that look similar within areas that you're kind of traveling back and forth in. And although they give you a waypoint that's, you know, kind of will point you in the correct direction, the way to get there isn't always immediately obvious. So I, I never got lost so badly that I could not find my way back out. But especially in some of the, um, like the, the side missions, um, where you maybe had to do things a little bit differently to get to your goal. There were definitely times when I got lost for longer than I would have liked. And like, I know, I know I've been through this area before because there's little piles of red crystals everywhere. And, you know, I, but if I, if I had hit a a checkpoint in between there, you know, everything would respawn. So I couldn't even rely on that. And it, it, I did find it frustrating from time to time. It it wasn't game breaking, but it, it, frustrating i think is is definitely it's a lot of, of tunnels and connective mm-hmm. tissues between chambers where the battles occur which is never never yeah. great it feels very old-fashioned um i can't believe that i'm the one making this reference but it starts off very dark souls of course um you know you, <laughs> you, will, you will unlock some shortcuts that allow you to move between uh checkpoints and the next part and then quickly that gets dropped and it becomes very kind of um Ooh, this is very disparaging. Rote probably is the right word. Um, just, yeah, lots of corridors connecting between tissues. And in some levels, it's nothing but corridors. In geometric chambers, it it, it, it can be a bit uninspired. It, it really did, and especially in some of the uh, outdoor levels, um, like Terra Tortura and the, the um, kind of jungle, not jungle, forest level, um, it felt very Neo to me. It felt more Neo than it did Dark Souls. And of course, you know, Neo has inspirations in Dark Souls and has similarities to Dark Souls. But um, yeah, it I really got more of a Neo vibe from it. Yep. Uh, and, and that may be because I, we kind of talked about this already, but you don't have a, there, there is a world map, but it's not a world map that you can like wander around in an overworld. It's a world map where, same as Neo, you choose your missions from a list or from, uh, from spots on the map and kind of go into these self-contained levels. And then when you're done, you bump back out. It's not traveling from place to place uh, or, or anything like that. It is, uh, more of a uh, a set of levels. So then with regard to um, the other side of the visuals, which would be the, the design of the enemies and the characters that populate these worlds, um, I, I'd like to hear what you both think about that. Um, my biggest issue, I think, was, uh, now they, they do repeat a lot of the enemy designs and they do a lot of palette swaps of some enemy designs. And, and I didn't really have that much of an issue with that. I felt like it was probably okay. Um, what I, and I don't even think this is necessarily a bad thing. I just think that it was very uh, noticeable was the fact that some of the characters that you meet, and I'm thinking here most notably of in Cornelia, your kind of hub world, when you uh, go into the castle and are um, uh, speaking with the royal family, the princess and the, you know, the king and queen, they are all very traditional Final Fantasy characters. Like they are garbed in these kind of royal quasi-medieval outfits. You know, they are 
uh, ruffled collars and everything. And then you have Jack and his friends. And Jack is basically just wearing uh, like a He's wearing like a Henley tee, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> you know, v. like Ash has a flannel tied around his waist. Like it, it's, it's very um, kind of modern and it clashes in a weird way. And, and I mean, there is kind of a reason for that. But it, it just it seems weird to me that nobody comments on that, yeah. you know, and, and I don't know, maybe maybe it would have been too much for them to be like, oh, strangers, you you look like you've come from a distant land in your, I don't know, in your Henley. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's, did that bother you guys? Because it bothered me yes. a little. Yes, and, and there's a cynical part of me that always wonders why Square Enix are doing this. You know, they've got a storied history of, if you look at Lightning from Final Fantasy Thirteen during the kind of high fashion um, shoots in Japanese media and stuff like that, you always get a sense that they're angling for something different. Like, look, can we make these iconic characters and 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 project them into a different scenario? Like, can they lift off as these these things that actually pick up in in the zeitgeist and become something more than just a character from a Final Fantasy game? Maybe that's the case. I think at best, if I'm being kind, like you say, it just kind of serves to do this thing where it essentially puts them in a position where they are, um, you know, strangers, not to Kind of, again, inverted commas, it's a bit glib, but um, they're strangers in a land which is an otherwise um, very, like, has a lot of continuity. Um, but, like, I don't think the plot does enough to really kind of, like, like tease that out and make it as apparent yeah. as it could be. It just looks like they're basically rocking off, like, a high fashion shoot or coming straight out of, like, what you would consider to be, like, modern fashion in, in a very strange and, I don't know, anachronistic way. Yeah. If I, my, I've got two points to 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 raise. Yes, I, I found it quite jarring when you had the main characters, the the very frequent, at least for me, outfit changes. I mean, it's constant because of getting better stuff. And like, oh, I have a bandana for about five seconds, and now I've got a full helmet on. It's fine. But I did notice that they'll have zips and stuff, and they'll have like fasteners. I'm like, okay. That be Maybe that's my problem. Not enough zippers. Not enough, yeah, well, was, it's that's you Namora. Not enough buckles. Yeah, I know. Yeah, not. It's just like wait, he's got okay. Um, but in the time, I want to go flip it on the any enemy design. I found the boss creatures way more interesting. Yeah. Obvious, but I thought there were much, there was a lot more thought put into them than the other creatures. I found generally speaking, maybe a bit unfair. Some of the other smaller creatures were quite interesting. Um, certainly the elementals, I found them quite fascinating. There were the rare times when I did hold magic at things. Like, oh, look, there's an earth elemental. Quick, throw it in the air with a whirlwind. Excellent. Oh, look, it's dead. Yeah. Um, but um, that, that they, they were quite fascinating. But no, I think the, the, the boss monsters were very, very well designed yeah. in visually. Um, the engagements, that's, that's we'll discuss later. Did you have a favourite? Um... Yeah, I I did like the um, tentacle monster, one the one from the the water. Ah, uh, yeah, the yeah. The, cr- the water elemental. I forgot the what it's called. The kraken, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's kraken. definitely. I did like that one because it you know yeah it's very it's very well yeah I like that one. Fight not so much, but yeah. <laughs> to kind of continue along with the theme of potential. Um, I don't know what to call it, potential clashes in uh, tone. 
Let's talk about the audio a little bit. Um, so Tolkien Taters from our forum says, Scheme is extremely confident in how stupid it is, and I love it for that. It's certainly not perfect. Often the character models and environments can look like they came from a 360 game. But honestly, that almost works for the dumb, goofy vibe this game is going for. Jack saying, I don't give a F who you are and bull for playing Limp Biscuit is going to stay with me for a while. It's an out there confidence that you don't see too often, and it's refreshing for that. What other Final Fantasy game could end with My Way by Frank Sinatra? It both begins and ends with Sinatra. Jack does not strike me as a Sinatra guy. I don't know about you guys. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, that's, I think he is. This is, another, this is another wild clash because you get like this it's it's this off-brand limp biscuit plus sinatra and then you have just rearrangements of traditional final fantasy music and just themes that are very subtly sprinkled through the music and and it's a weird combination much like their modern clothing and modern um kind of outfits are a weird combination with the princess's garb you know princess garb her princess is princess garb yeah you know uh, was there anything that stood out to you guys about the audio? Yes. Um, I don't think there's enough of the Uematsu tracks in the game. Especially when you're leaning into the kind of like environmental impact of some of the other games. A lot of this game is spent listening to the generic um, battle music, which is, is fine. But when you're hearing it for 60 hours at a time, it's mm. just noise. It's, it's just... Yeah. Um, the shortest path between you and a slightly raised heart rate, I think, that you're going to get. And, and because of that, it's absolutely, absolutely good. <laughs> it's perfectly serviceable. I do think there's some some excellent tracks. So I, I don't know why, but their take on the um, the prelude, which plays in the main menu music, I, I think is 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 beautiful. Uh, it also brings in little kind of leitmotifs of the Final Fantasy um, Stranger of Paradise soundtrack as well, which I think is lovely. And you probably hear that at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Chris, what about you? I thought the sound mix uh, was pretty good. Um, the, the the informative sound effects about what was going on and the cues that you got to make sure that, oh, maybe you should pull out This Is Bad, uh, as well as the mixing of the, the visuals as well, was was really well done. Um, the uh, but uh, unfortunately, music's somewhat forgettable. I agree. Um, uh, I, it washed over me. I wasn't really engaged with it nearly as much as the spot effects, which is not good. Um, because, um, but I was um, uh, quite taken by at the end with uh, Frank Sinatra, my way. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's uh, I did it Frank's way. Did we though? Did we? No, no, no. But um, yeah. Music middling, I guess, is is kind of our collective opinion. But I think one thing that is is very divisive, and this is a game of dichotomies. It's a game of oxymorons as well. Is probably the um, just the chatting, the chattiest mm-hmm. bunch of characters ever. Um, to a fault, I would probably say. The uh, abiding opinion I'll have is every time you take an L and you lose your health, all you can hear is Jack going, this sucks. And it's just, it's <laughs> like the, the the perfect example of just how dude bro this game can be at times. I think the one that got me was, and I, I think maybe Chris already mentioned this, is every time you come around a corner and, or you, you know, you come into sight of a, a save point, someone in your party goes, cubes, 
Yeah, they do. <laughs> cubes. They do. Cubes. They have some kind of comment about the cubes. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get yeah. it. I and then they it. go, maybe we should take a rest. Maybe you should shut up. What do you say? <laughs> Um, yeah, this but, this this is maybe a game that could have, be, have benefited from like a chattiness slider. The other one that really got me is um, if you get poisoned, somebody oh. will inevitably say you should cure that poison, and that's fine. Except you can't cure poison, except unless you're um, I think it's a monk that has that the ability to uh, to to clear poison. Yeah, white mages have the Asuna spell, so there's that okay. as well. But like there is no antidote no, yep. item. I think you're right. Um, yeah. So unless you are in the correct um, job to, to clear your poison, that's not. It's not an easy thing to to do if you don't have that. Um, yeah. I don't know. It just that kind of irritated me. But but I mean, yeah. I guess I guess really the whole the whole thing is it's it's cacophonous. It's just mm-hmm. a, a, a a bit messy. I mean, audio and visual collide in this. Completely overwhelming experience where I can see why it would turn people off. There's very little room to breathe, especially if you ramp the difficulty up and you're doing it in in some of the hardest yeah. uh, modes possible. Let's go along uh, and talk about the characters as well as the story. Uh, we're treading on scary ground here, but uh, <laughs> I think we can do this. And I'm going to start with a uh, piece of correspondence from Magical Isopod on the forum, who says. I picked this game up strictly for the podcast and played for a few hours whilst sick yesterday, and I can describe my feelings as both bored and overwhelmed. For a game that purports to be a loud, dumb prequel to Final Fantasy 1, I found the combat to be incredibly convoluted, with menus buried in menus and way too many mechanics introduced all at once. I found myself wandering through dungeons and actually falling asleep from the monotony. The story, what little I saw of it, is incredibly threadbare as well. You and your fellow burly men show each other their crystals, and Jack really doesn't like chaos. I'm sure this all gets explained later, but the way the narrative is presented did absolutely nothing to compel me to keep playing. The edgy overtones of the dialogue and art direction came off as incredibly juvenile as well. I have heard this game gets really good toward the end, and I look forward to the podcast episode to learn more. But for me, life is too short to meander through a game I don't enjoy to experience a strong finale. I had some degree of hope this game might represent an interesting change of pace for Square Enix, but it's really more of the same. I describe the last decade or so as the instant ramen era of Final Fantasy. Cheap, empty calories, lacking flavor, and a poor imitation of the real thing. But delicious. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was me. That was that was yeah. editorializing at the end there. Um, but yeah, not, not a very flattering um, description of the story, but a, a fair point. Um, so we've already mentioned who our main party members are. We've got Jack, uh, Jack Garland, shock and, and surprise. Uh, and then we have Ash, Jed, Neon, and Sophia. We have uh, the main NPCs, uh, the royal family, of course, um, and our basically fridged girlfriend Sarah uh, who just kind of stays back and they try to make a um, strong character at the end except it's way too late and she doesn't really do anything anyway and then Jack punches her in the stomach and carries her off does (laughs) no one's ever struck me before I'm like Sarah please come on (laughs) Um, 
And then we have a couple of characters from Final Fantasy I who are thrust into roles here, uh, BK the Pirate and Astos the Dark Elf. And then we have the Lufenians. So I think this is probably a good place to give a super simplified rundown as far as I can of the story of Final Fantasy Origins. Good luck. Okay. So if you guys need to stop me or if, if you want to interject, then please feel free, but I'm going to try. And I think I've got this. Okay, so uh, Jack and his friends, uh, who in the beginning are limited to Ash and Jed, show up at the town of Cornelia, basically not knowing why they're there. The only thing they really know at that point is that Jack really, really, really wants to kill Chaos. Like, it's it's a... complete fetish for him he needs to kill chaos um they're then sent out by the king and the royal family to start this quest to um to potentially kill chaos because they think they might be the warriors of light but there's only three of them and they're supposed to be four warriors of light so there's some doubt but he goes out um they go to the Chaos Shrine and fight someone who looks like Chaos, but turns out to be another warrior of light named Neon, who... Okay, so here's where here's where I start to get a little shaky. So Neon was with, or says that she was with, a group previously who was there to kill Chaos. They decided that Chaos isn't real, so she prayed to Chaos to become Chaos so that somebody would defeat her and everything would be happy again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So far? So so okay. yeah. so the 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 kind of the missing thing about this is that essentially I mean you learn it as part of the story. So forgive me Leah if I'm kind of stepping ahead here. No, please. Jack, Ash, Jed, Neon and Sophia are essentially the warriors of light that are stuck in an infinite loop. Um, yes. of moving through trying to create a parity between lightness and darkness in inverted commas um, which is why they lose their, and, and they lose their memory at the end of every failed attempt and um, Neon is it Neon who is, is chaos in the first instance or Sophia I can't remember it's Neon so, Neon. So it's Neon. Neon has embodied uh, uh, chaos because of her failed attempt to try and sort of like create that sense of parity it's nonsense but you know yeah so what i did not understand um i did many things i did not understand but um so uh, the the loop that they are stuck in is due to this kind of race of people called the lufanians who are they're not gods but they're kind of uh, the way that i read it is that they're kind of this technologically advanced um subset of people who are somehow controlling the world like they created these individual dimensions that are based off of other final fantasy games so these are not the original worlds it's like it's it's just copies of of parts of these worlds that they have created (laughs) what i don't get is why they did this like what their benefit is and jack at some point asks them pretty uh, pretty early after you learn about the lufanians themselves um jack asks why do we have to forget and the quote i have this written down the quote that he gets from the lead lufanian person who is kind of overseeing him is to preserve our glorious future that doesn't mean anything if (laughs) i may i i think i know what it does Okay, yes. So, have any of you read a culture novel? 
it's not a cultured uh, the, novel. Um, so it's the Ian I Banks. Think I have Ian Banks, like, Ian Banks? like yeah, the, the I, use I of the weapons and consider fleebs and stuff like that. Yeah, I, um, I've read the first one. It's been a while. Yeah. So this is a direct reference to culture. So the Lefenians are basically the same as the culture. The culture are very hyper hyper advanced race of people that have reached what we would regard as God, but it's not. But they're just stupidly um, advanced technology to the point where they're immortal, you see. And okay. um, what they're, what this is about is they're, they're quite bored, and so they do things like this. They meddle because they they haven't had anything else to do, but they meddle for the sake of progress, their own progress. But they are so far removed from for many any other beings that they have no empathy you see so that's okay. what this is about this is a they are a cult they are very similar to the culture i've seen this appear on other science fictions but it always leads back to this hyper it's like the queue and stuff like that it happens mm. a lot it's a common theme uh, i'm not criticizing it i'm just finding it fascinating this arrived here in final fantasy it's only a matter of time yeah. We would have yeah. this. It is so. This is what they are. So I can understand what they were and what their motives are. And if you listen to their, their how they speak, it's very cold, clinical. Everything's systems and yeah. has to be audited, and everything has to be sorted out, and everything has to have uh, a place and order. Yeah, they, they create chaos, but it's an, but it's for the sake of in a controlled manner because. In order, they have to have chaos in order for them to uh, progress as a species. That's their argument. But they do it at the expense of others. You see. So the concepts there. My interpretation of it is that um, the Lufenians want to create a balance between lightness and darkness. Okay, and and so far they've been so successful in creating lightness that they need to basically interject with some darkness to create that balance. And the principle behind it is that. Um, Jack and the gang are actually looking to either control chaos or indeed become chaos to create that sense of balance. What you have is is Astos, who's a character that obviously um, is in the uh, Final Fantasy 1, the game, um, who is this person who ascends beyond time and is kind of the arbiter of this entire process. And in a previous loop, if you like, uh, Astos and Jack became friends and Astos agreed that he would empower Jack with the knowledge that they had received from a previous loop so that they could indeed become chaos. What the Lufenians have decided, though, is the correct way to um, generate this parity between lightness and darkness is to put such darkness into the world that all of the humans, which are the problem, become um, enemies that need to be destroyed in order to release darkness into the the atmosphere, and that that's what Jack needs to do in in order to do that. It's the purest nonsense, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> and very. I mean that delivered. that actually does um, that actually does make more sense. Um, just <laughs> thinking of the Lufenians as kind of disinterested scientists, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but the so, titular paradise think- here is is this scenario where there is pure equality where the world exists in a nice equilibrium state and the uh, <coughs> strangers of the paradise are indeed jack and the gangs they are not welcome yeah. there and they don't yeah. uh well not not that they're not welcome but they are uh, deliberately antagonistic to that something that i also had an issue with here 
is you get sort of a backstory for Jack, or at the very least, you see him, you know, being uh, guided and um, assessed by both the Lufenians, and later on you see his interactions with Astos that had led up to this point. You really don't get any kind of backstory for the other four members of his party. Right. They're just kind of these dudes. And and I mean they're they clearly have their own distinct personalities. Like they're not just, you know, blank slates, but you don't know anything about them. Like they don't show up. They don't um you know, you don't what like why are they with Jack? Who knows? Honestly, why are they I think the only important thing about it is that there's four of them and they become the four elementals in the original yep. Final Fantasy and Jack is itself chaos and, and that's is, yeah. about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, you, you, yeah, I'm telling you, it's like teaching you how to suck eggs, but it's like, <laughs> it, it, it like it really doesn't matter as far as I'm concerned. No. I don't think it really mattered to them. The, the If I can sort of start to critique the... the um. The plot, I mean, not that it's going to be heavy lifting. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> My biggest problem with it is that they don't differentiate between chaos as a concept and chaos as an entity, a proper noun, if you like. And because of that, it makes it incredibly confusing. Like, are they trying to fight a... I mean, it, and, and probably deliberately so, are they trying to fight the the sense of chaos that brings ruin and damnation to a world? Or is chaos a thing? And, and it is both at the same time. So it makes it very confusing as to why this gentleman's so against chaos and indeed becomes chaotic. What I do like about the story, and I, this is very generous, is that it does add a bit of dimension to Final Fantasy 1. The end of the game begin, as was talked about, you know, it's got Frank Sinatra's My Way. It ends with the scene of the kind of four warriors of light cast in shadow coming to, to fight Garland as you do as the first boss in Final Fantasy. And it rounds Garland off. You know, he is antagonistic to the world because the world needs chaos and and not chaos in a sort of evil sense but chaos in, as in a, like i'm going to shake things up and affect the status quo and make things a little bit more um unpredictable or you know challenge um institutions of power and all that sort of stuff and i don't know if it's just me being generous here but i think the the real world could do with a little bit of that sometimes okay so what you're telling me is that you are going to become <laughs> i don't think it's far from the truth at some point <laughs> yeah if you see me wearing a henley tea and shouting about chaos you know. <laughs> there's also and and i think I, I i get this possibly now um but it, what kind of i thought was odd was that clearly the people who are not in your party, so the NPCs in Cornelia, they know you and they recognize you and you've been here before, you know, but they don't connect. Like Sarah at the very beginning of the game, when you were heading off for the Chaos Shrine for the first time, says, hey, there's this knight called Garland and I, yeah, he disappeared and I want you to go find him. Why doesn't she know that that's Jack? Like she spent this much time with him and she apparently spent time with this other Garland person as well, but she doesn't make that connection. So I thought that was a little odd. But then there's also talk of the Lufenians resetting the world. And um, I'm not 100% sure what that entails, but if they are like, doing experiments our, our scientific experiments here then maybe it's just like um almost like it's a, a piece of software um i don't think that that's what they're going for 
literally. Like, I don't think that this is supposed to be AI that you are going through again and again. But although it could be, I guess. They get given the eggs, don't they? And I think the eggs are, mm-hmm. you know, the chaos crystals <laughs> or whatever they're called. I think that's the kind of thing that they're manipulating. But it's brought about in a way that makes it look as though they're in the Matrix, which is just deeply confusing. I mean, it turns out the USB memory sticks, but who knew? <laughs> <laughs> That's very advanced USB memory sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are storing you can defragment all yeah. of these computers. That's what you're actually doing. Well, it has a. They apparently have a capacity. Don't they? <laughs> it's and like and they go, oh, and no. they do say that. Yeah. Yeah, they held it out and it didn't work. It must be filled up. It's it's full. It and then he says, I don't know how I know that. Oh God. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, the relentless running around saying, Oh, I remember this place. I've been here many times. Yes, yes, I know. We we get it. <laughs> okay, so let's um, move on and talk about the gameplay a little bit because I know um, it, I know that Rich, you in particular, have a lot to say about this. Um, but I would like to start off with another piece of correspondence. This is from DeMonth on the forum who says, This was my 2022 G O T Y I E R H A C O game of the year if Elden Ring hadn't also come out. Uh, it's a bit of a shame all the first impressions of chaos memes and Limp Biscuit had people writing it off, me included. Wouldn't have tried it if my friend didn't sit me down to. Once I did, there was a bug in my brain that didn't go away until I finished it. I love the soul block and how visceral the combat is. The job system is incredibly rewarding, and I'm glad I just happened to stumble into the best one in the game, Tyrant, even if I had to fall back on Breaker for harder encounters. Complaints-wise, the menu could stand to be 30% less scary, and god does this game need a map. Lots of same-looking things to get lost in. Been informed Final Fantasy 16 is maybe looking to play like this, and if so, hopefully it doesn't say chaos too many times so people aren't ashamed to call it an all-time great. P.S. It's not Limp Bizkit. <laughs> people just made that up. <laughs> it's a pretty good sound-alike, though, I will say. Um, so, um, yeah, let's talk about the combat. Uh, Rich, you want to start us off? You've probably got the most in-depth uh, experience here. Well, I think let's just describe it first, and then we'll sure. bounce off. Um, for me, the combat in this game is most similar to a Musou game, like uh, Dynasty Warriors or Samurai Warriors, or yeah, any of the Warriors games in particular. Um, at a very fundamental level, like the moment-to-moment gameplay, you don't really have a lot. You've basically got light attacks and heavy attacks and a few kind of techniques that are triggered by use of the shoulder buttons um, that do things like give you increased damage or allow you to change the way that you uh, dodge and such. Uh, in particular, it probably feels most similar to like a Souls game um, mixed with a Warriors game, I would say, where you can lock on uh, the enemies or you know fight enemies in general, just like a, a swathes. Um, it's difficult for me to talk about the combat without going into massively low-level detail. So I'm going to pump the brakes there and probably hand over to Chris to see if he's got anything that he wants to add in the short term while we're, we'll kind of work through this. Yes, so it is entirely real-time, if that's not made clear. Yes, it's got Final Fantasy written on it, but it's not turn-based. In any way, it's a free-forming, free-flowing experience where your placement and your relative placement to enemies is absolutely vital. You do have basically um, two sort of like attacks that can be in combination combination with others, depending on the job that you have engaged. You have two jobs, um, and I primarily went with the sort of the, the, the one with the very large sword because it's fun, <laughs> and the the mage with the um, with the uh, basically blasting things. I, I basically would soften everything up with some cannon fire and then I'll go running in and, and finish the job. 
That was my system anyway. Yeah. Should we should we have a quick conversation about which classes we enjoyed the most? That might actually be a good kind of way into some of the combat. Sure. For me, I, I did uh, I did f- find myself just delving into only two, and the others I didn't really explore much, much at all because I just liked doing. So for me, it is mage and swordsman. That's what. Oh, that, that's interesting because they're the fairly early, not early game. Hang on a minute. How do I describe this? There are classes. So there's, yeah, uh, go for it. Yes. Yeah, uh, so the way that you unlock classes, you start out with a um, a small group. It's eight basic jobs. Um, once you master combinations of those jobs and you gain um, experience for them uh, through your combat and then can kind of allocate points into these skill trees. And at the bottom of these skill trees, there are options to unlock other jobs. And some of them are just direct unlocks. You can just unlock them with one mastery, like it's a direct line. And then some of them you have to master more than one job. Um, so like if you, one of the starter classes is mage. So if you continue to master mage, um, that directly leads to black mage and white mage, but if you master the uh, swordsman job as well, then you can get into a combination like red mage. And then after you have those advanced jobs unlocked, you can continue on and unlock a further set of jobs, which they call expert jobs. And those are kind of the top tier, have the most um, the most specialized skills. Um, and those are things like if you have two second tier jobs that you have mastered, um, then you can go on to something. So um, the the ones that I'm thinking of are if you, um, to, to kind of continue on a theme, if you master both Black Mage and White Mage, then you unlock the Sage that has, you know, kind of the same uh, abilities that com- combine from both. Uh, and then if you master um, the Red Mage and the Monk, you get what's called the uh, the Tyrant. So yeah, it's um, it's not a completely linear progression. Um, it allows for a fair amount of customization, and um, yeah, that's you can uh, equip two jobs at any given time that you can kind of freely switch between, and then your party members have a limited number of jobs that they can unlock, and you can um, switch them between things, uh, either in between missions, or I think you can also switch them just in mission, um, but they don't have access to everything. They only have a maximum of... I don't know, it's like three or four jobs, depending on how many you unlock. Indeed. And and what Chris is describing is that it sounds like, Chris, you found the the early game, um, like first tier of job classes completely adequate. Like it was it was able to equip you and get you through the, the end of the game. Yeah, I did try out the others. I did try. I quite liked the Lancer for a bit. Mm-hmm. I was drawn to that for a bit. But um, in the end, I, I felt that the um, mage... And the ability to soften up the targets earlier was much more efficient. So, and then swinging around a great sword was the kind of thing I would do in Souls games as well. So that was quite. Although, you know, I'm more of a sword and border on those games, but nonetheless, having a totally great double double handed sword was fitted me fine. So, um, but it did have its did have its issues. I the first time uh, we played through. I I believe it was the tyrant that I ultimately landed on, which is the the job uh, that you get from mastering monk and red mage, and you can enchant your sword is kind of the big thing that you can do. So you are still a melee fighter, but you have the ability to like make your sword a fire sword or something along those lines, and I I, I really liked that. Um, this time around, I kind of went 
more for a, um, a, a changing. Like, I tried to get in as many of the different um, skills as I could. Um, so I went through all of the basic jobs and a, a fair number of the advanced jobs. I didn't really get too much into the uh, expert jobs, just because that's, I didn't, didn't make it there. Um, but I kept, through the entire game, I did keep the, uh, the Pugilist, which is a basic job and is basically just a you put brass knuckles on and you punch stuff a lot. Uh, so that that was one of my equipped jobs at pretty much at all times. And then the other one just varied. Like I would continue on until I mastered something and then I'd go to the next one and then I'd go to the next one. Um, something that I did find, uh, I did not mess with the Lancer almost at all uh, during my first playthrough. But this time I found that the Lancer is kind of broken because you get a skill that if you especially in the early game, that if you charge your lance throw completely, it just instantly kills stuff. They just <laughs> crystallize if you hit it with your lance that's fully charged. Uh, and I'm sure that that's probably not the case in um, other difficulty levels, but for where I was, it was just, it was too much almost. Mm. I mean, obviously it doesn't work on bosses, but pretty much everything else it did. I can't remember the last time I touched any of the opening eight job classes or whatever the case may oh, be. Well. Um, and it's because like 60, 70 hours into the game at this point, I pretty much have a build that I'm quite satisfied. So this might require a bit of explanation. At the highest tier, when you're playing through Final Fantasy uh, Origin, you are not fighting enemies. You're largely just running past them and doing boss rushes. So actually, you know, interacting with the scrubs and the mobs is of no interest to me. I probably spend the best part of about a minute in the level and then actually grind the boss after that. Um, those early classes don't allow you to access some of the actual end game capabilities that would help you to defeat the boss. It's it's very much like a Sekiro, Dark Souls, Neo type of situation where even if you are wearing heavy armor, you're still going to die within maybe one or two hits. So having heavy armor is of, of no real value, uh, certainly in, in my opinion. And it's because of that that I found myself... Uh, originally going for the Liberator, which is a mixture of a, a Dragoon and a Warrior, and, and its ability is Mighty Guard, and what it does is basically a continual heal over time. The more you damage an enemy, the more it will heal yourself and your team, which is lovely, but it in it in and of itself is not enough to defeat like the, the high-end enemies. And the, the, uh, the, the class that I went for was the Sage, which is a combination of Black, Black Mage and, and White Mage. And the moment that I did that, I just fell in love with the game. So, so it, it's on the surface, it allows you to maneuver between Black Magic and White Magic, which sounds fun, and I suppose to some extent it is. But the real beauty of the, the Sage is it opens up the Ultima spell, which is like... It, I mean, it's like a nuclear bomb going off in the middle of the, the battlefield. In order to do it's that... colorful. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, in order to do that, you have to cast three white magic spells, followed by three black magic spells, uh, and not maneuver between those two more than once, otherwise you end up losing what are called tokens. Um, and what it becomes during a boss fight is, how can I effectively manage my outgoing spells in such a way that I can unlock the Ultima spell. So three spells doesn't sound like much, but when you consider that you can largely only really cast maybe one or two spells before you need to recharge your mana, and that is done by attacking enemies, then it becomes a real dance. It's like a 
Chris used the term like area management earlier today, and I think that that that's kind of it. It's all to do with like how well you can reactively parry, dodge, how you can cut in there and deal damage, and then come back monitoring your mana building up. It's just a real like thrill to be able to do that. The other thing is when you're playing at a higher level. Of course, like your build becomes really important in the same way that it does for for Neo in particular, and I liken it to something like Monster Hunter. I know when I was chatting with Brian about this, he found that the amount of and, and even Chris W from the Kinderitz team was saying that there doesn't seem to be much point in developing a build, and actually that that's quite far from the truth. At a certain level, you're looking for certain pieces that complement one another. So, as an example, I have a, a build that allows me to recharge my mana as well as my health by swigging a potion, which is unique to uh, the the Sage class by allowing me to unlock certain things. So it all builds towards developing this really finessed out character that allows you to deal as much damage as possible um, and, and um, get in there efficiently and effectively. I just think it's a really excellent like example of what can be done when a culmination of um, skills and then actual, like, cognitive thinking about how builds are put together collide into this one one um one game very similar in neo in that manner but neo of course is not really such a spell driven game um and definitely doesn't have job types as well so i I just think it's where this game is the strongest allow yourself to release from like the the kind of story and the problems with like some of the the themes and just get really deep into the mechanics of the game and it comes back and it rewards you and and ultimately like the the 30 or 40 hours that I spent after the original game going for the platinum trophy just melted away it it didn't feel at all like I was playing the game it just is just a joy from start to finish talking about uh building or creating builds uh, I think this is a good time to talk about the equipment management and I want to start with a quote from or a I'm sorry a correspondence piece from Megadirt who we heard from before says the huge quantity of jobs and upgrades made this a great motivation to experiment with all the different elements of the game that I may have otherwise overlooked the weapons upgrades however are next to useless you essentially have to grind to upgrade them and will immediately walk into a new level and find something twice as tantalizing sticking out of a pirate's booty um, there's a lot of equipment in this game, and at the level that I was playing at, I basically was just using the equip best available command, um, pretty much. So, um, I- I'm curious, um, Rich, if at a higher level you were thinking about these things a little bit more critically, and, uh, Chris, same question, um, if you found that to be more useful as well. Um, I was initially overwhelmed, uh, as mentioned earlier about this sheer a variety of how to manage one's inventory. I thought, well, I thought Mass Effect was bad. Mass Effect 1, that is. But um, in the end, towards the end, as I was sort of playing my way through and I just found myself going, well, I could sit here for hours and, you know, deconstruct all these things, get resources and then upgrade these things. And I was doing that for a bit. And sometimes sometimes the, the, the um, certainly sort of weapons and that kind of thing, the kind of class I was using as I was focused heavily on that it, there were many times when I'll pick up a weapon in a level but I'd already out leveled up something to the point where it exceeded that but generally speaking I wasn't really focused that much on balancing it out and stuff because I was only playing it on the, the default or normal difficulty it extended beyond that which meant that um, 
towards the end, I was definitely doing what Leo said, unfortunately, was actually just, you know, hitting the uh, center button on my PS5 and going, okay, just, you know, do do the best gear for the party and then I'll move on because I've got things to do. Thank you very much. But, but, I can definitely see that there's a lot going on there. A lot that I'm, that I pretty much didn't really delve into as much as I would have liked to. And, um, but I, was just, I fear I would have been spending a lot of time on that screen managing and balancing things. But I don't know because I never actually expanded beyond. Um, but I did know it was important. You know, maintaining your gear, I was basically found myself going, yeah, numbers go up, Chris. Numbers go up. And yeah, having to manage, <laughs> yeah, and, and managing, making sure that you, you know, because you had a limit on your resources if you, if you, or inventory. If you exceeded that, you go around and it's like, we can't pick that up because you've got too many of those things. And um, that was quite, I ended up doing auto, like anything below a certain level, just just to scrap. But, um, yeah, I don't believe it was available during <laughs> when the game first launched, but it was pretty quickly patched in that you could uh, set thresholds to where you would not, you would both not pick up uh, equipment if it was under a certain level, yeah, and also yeah. you could set it to auto dismantle a certain amount of equipment at the end of a level if you weren't using it. That's right. That's what I did for myself. I just yeah. kept on increasing that level to get those resources because I couldn't afford to not pick things up. It would have been disastrous. Yeah. But Rich, I'm really curious. Am I wrong? Am I <sighs> wrong to say that you need to delve into it later on? Um, I mean, I take no joy in saying this, but maybe. Um, so I listened to an episode of Waypoint quite recently where they were talking about uh, Wolong, which is another Team Ninja game, and Patrick Klepek, and that was describing how turned off he was in Neo because of the absolutely overwhelming amount of loot that's dropped. And I get it. I mean, I have the benefit of... Pff, 500 hours in Neo and Neo 2 to be able to look past it. I think there is a a more sophisticated way of negotiating through that problem, uh, the problem of being overwhelmed with loot. But I also think that requires a much more sophisticated solution than what Team Neo and, uh, sorry, Team Ninja probably had the time and investment to be able to do for uh, Stranger of Paradise. In an ideal world, I think the product ought to look like less loot, certainly less values that are in there. However, I think if you are a fan of Neo and you are a fan of uh, any game that has a lot of numbers in there, so I played a lot of Neo, I played a lot of The Division 2 for my sins, um, those things matter. And as soon as I'm looking at them, I'm looking at, okay, where is the maneuverability to actually finesse out something that is much more uh, interesting and sophisticated than what we are when you're basically looking at the numbers going up. I think you need to approach this with the right sentiment, and that is just try and ignore it. There was absolutely no value in playing a very basic playthrough of the game and then sweating through some of the numbers. My recommendation would just be to automatically upgrade in the way that Leo did. I think that's perfectly reasonable. But it's a, it's its own kind of exciting to be able to find that you can have um, a... A mallet, let's say, that allows you to have minus two attack, but actually plus twenty percent mage up up ability, which allows you to then in turn access um, mana reduction, which then in turn allows you to cast another spell without being able to have to go in there and hit another recharge, which then in turn allows you to access potions that restore your mana, and you end up in this kind of infinitely complicated loop that 
break it doesn't break the game necessarily but allows you to 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 move into exceptional levels of difficulty that are otherwise completely like incomprehensible and impenetrable if you play through it in in a very basic way i think this to me is a very and i i mean this in a, a really flattering way a very japanese sensibility that's born out of games like monster hunter where it's it's desirable to want to be able to look at the very minutiae of the way the games build up and then craft things that are really interesting. And it's because of that, I think, that actually, really, what... what this is... Not to spill my kind of beans too early on, this game is better thought of as a kind of Monster Hunter game than it is as a Final Fantasy game. And I think to some extent, leaning very hard into the Final Fantasy to try and make it sell probably was to the detriment of the, the game's overall uh, longevity, I would say, maybe. Uh, or indeed, like, you know, commercially it was probably the right, re- the, the right move, but actually in terms of actually how it'll land in the long term, definitely for the wrong move because it's thought of as a very poor Final Fantasy game rather than a very good Team Ninja game. So there is a significant co-op element, as we've kind of alluded to before. You can either play with uh, one of your friends or you can uh, open yourself up to uh, kind of drop in, drop out co-op with random people. Uh, I've experienced both of these things at the same time, actually, and uh, it works pretty well, I think. Um, I I didn't have many complaints about it, except for the kind of connectivity stuff that we experienced. Yeah, it's not Uh, all good. I mean, there's things like player two can't witness the cutscenes that player one is so yeah. it's quite a lonely experience you know you go in there you complete the mission that's with why them. i didn't have a problem i was usually player one <laughs> yeah indeed but also it's a very sparse experience it's very menu driven you know so it works very well it's very stable but actually it's quite a sparse and um you know sterile experience for two players and it, it it's obviously not a very complimentary way to enjoy an, an already inscrutable plot also, it's not available during all missions. Um, no, it no, it drops can't be, out can it? towards the end. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. there, the way that the story is set up. So at the end, you, in order to become chaos, you have to fight and defeat each of your party members. So you, I mean, you couldn't really do the same kind of co-op, uh, but. It, it's a little bit of a, a shock to, you know, get to that point, especially if you've played the entire thing in co-op, as Rich and I did the first time through, and then just kind of be dropped off and not be able to finish the game together. It was a little, uh, little, little disappointing, I thought. There's little just, quirks about it. Sorry, Chris. There's little quirks yeah. about it. Like, for example, as player two, you don't come into the game wearing the clothes that your equivalent would be wearing. You're wearing whatever player one has there second party like second person or third person wearing so quite often if you've got somebody who really wants you to wear a top hat then by all accounts that's what you're wearing there's absolutely nothing you can do about it i was just gonna ask so corp what happens does it become part of your party because i never experienced it sadly yeah so you adopt the player two adopts either one of the well either one of the second or third players yeah but you bring in your i mean what what you do have some control over is your character class and um the weapons that you're using they're brought over from your game okay it's very easy i would say co-op actually does tip the balance in the favor of making it trivial i would say like it's very yeah if you're a mage for example and you can you know there's no sophisticated holding aggro or, or things like that so so 
you know, you can basically just stand in the distance and pelt enemies with with spells and it, it, it makes it rather easy. I do. When we got towards the end of the game, it was mostly, if I'm recalling this correctly, me running up into the face of whatever was supposed to be uh, the enemy of the moment while Rich stood in the background charging up an Ultima spell. So uh, at, at which point the fight would end. So, uh, so we've already talked about the difficulty some, but um, I, I want to uh, again, throw to Rich here because I, I know that you have some pretty strong feelings about the difficulty of this game and kind of how it affects what the game is and how it's perceived. Yeah. So um, I go, go off. It's a bit of a question of compromise. So I, I don't really have any, any, anything to, to, to back up this thought, but I think there's an element of when you attach Final Fantasy to it, you are bringing in an audience that has an expected level of difficulty or an expected, or generally an expectation that they're going to be able to finish this game. So actually the, the, Fairly basic difficulties make the game quite an easy affair. In actual fact, you know, give or take one or two bosses, Tiamat being uh, a main sticking point for Brian in particular, and the Kraken, I suppose, like, it's not actually that difficult. And actually, if you really are concerned about how difficult the bosses are, then, you know, if you've got a modicum of patience to go away and grind, then it's going to be quite an easy affair. But actually, the easy difficulty, like I say, kind of denies you some of the complexity and the beauty of the, the mechanics that underpin it as well. And I think really, for me, it, it tips it more in the favor of a Team Ninja game than a Final Fantasy game. And I, I, I would urge you, if you've never played it or you have a, a really negative opinion of the game, to go away and think about it more as a Team Ninja game rather than a Final Fantasy experience. I actually think that the default difficulty hurts the game. And I thought, I mentioned this right at the top, that those 7 out of 10 scores are probably reflective of somebody going to see credits. Um, and actually, I think that the game's a fairly weak affair. If you are playing it in that way, you've got to try and extract a little bit more complexity out of the game and actually put the effort in. I don't think the game's as uh, accessible in the lowercase a accessible context to to a lot of players and i think there's a lot that's kind of um prohibiting people from being able to access that kind of gameplay but i do think there's a gem in here that is otherwise inaccessible to people if you're not willing to put the time in oh, i don't want to say that because that sounds like people aren't willing to but maybe do not have the uh, imperative to go away and do that well, just that's not why they're coming to Indeed. the game in in some cases and 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 that i will say that just to play a little bit of devil's advocate, I, I that was kind of the case for me. Like, I, I think I'm not in a, I, I'm in a not unique position, but a um, may, maybe a position that a lot of people wouldn't find themselves in because I did come to this as a Final Fantasy game. That's what I wanted out of it. But at the same time, I'm not closed off to Team Ninja or to Neo style games. I enjoy those games as well. I like Dark Souls. I like Neo. I, I you know, I, I, I am not, uh, I, I'm still open to that kind of thing. So when I went through these games, I was not going through, well, when this game rather, I, I was not going through it for the combat specifically. If that was what I wanted, it is there. So I, I mean, if, I think it's, it's a weird balance, right? Because if you don't come to it with both of those things in mind, then 
like if you only want one of them then you're probably not gonna get it like if all you want is a final fantasy game and that is it you are not an action game person you are not a souls person uh you never played neo and you don't care for it uh then you're probably not gonna like it because there's maybe not enough to kind of hold you indeed but by the same token if all you want is a team ninja game then that's probably there's probably too much final fantasy in it to hold you you know i I think it's going to annoy some people if that's specifically what they want so it's it's a weird balance and i don't think it's a bad balance but i think it's a balance that a lot of people are not going to want so it's i don't know I, i don't know what that says but i i liked it for both of those things but again i did not go to nearly the difficulty level i was happy to just kind of mash my way through for the most part it would and, have it would have very much know. ended our friendship i think leah had we uh, tried to co-op at the highest difficulty level oh, possible oh god no i i knew that that wasn't gonna work that's i tapped <laughs> out of that immediately <laughs> i was like nope can't do this sorry um so, yeah i would have gotten lost somewhere and you would have left me and, and that would have just been it um but yeah i i, I am not I, i'm not really skilled enough personally at the the neo type games that i think i could really get the most out of the difficulty if i were to crank it up to the higher levels not without becoming frustrated so i i i felt that it struck a pretty good balance for me but i understand that that's not going to be the case for a lot of people a final point for me yes i I do feel that some of the decisions have now meant that this is the end for the Stranger of Paradise franchise, as it were. I think had they have been able to think things through a little bit more effectively and look at what the users were looking for, or maybe really preempt some of that, then it might have made a bigger difference. And the fact that the the kicker for me, if we go right back to the beginning of the conversation, is that it was almost unilaterally in the 72% across Eastern and European reports. But if you look at the contemporaries that, that I'm trying to draw comparison with, like Monster Hunter, well, Monster Hunter is a pretty bad example because it's universally loved, but some of the games that... Now it is, but it wasn't always. Indeed, like massively formative in, in Japan and very like un, inscrutable, maybe untouchable... Uh, unappealing to a western market it seems to me that basically across the board it was quite uniform and and therefore because of that it didn't land in the way that it probably could have had they have leaned into one or the other they might have been able to affect a much more impressive like critical reception in both western and eastern market depending on which way you want to swing chris thoughts on difficulty yes i think um i knew what i was coming into because i did some research on there and i knew this was an action adventure game. In order for it to be an action adventure game, there has to be this this level of complexity and difficulty. Notice the word complexity first before difficulty. Um, I want to save my a lot of my remarks on it to, to my summary because that's really where I'm going to come from in regards to my feelings towards Stranger of Paradise. But I have to say that this best way to describe it is this is a pure action adventure game not a role-playing game that happens to be linked to final fantasy and that's the best way to describe mm. it and if you if you approach it that way uh you'll get a much more rewarding experience because action adventure games like this give as much as you put into them as rich as 
amply demonstrated through most of this podcast. All right, so uh, I would like to start wrapping us up with some more correspondence. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at CanemRinse. You can come to our forum, CanemRinse.com slash forum. And uh, some of the correspondence that we have received is here now. This is from New Dark Cloud on the Patreon, who says, Do I think Stranger Paradise is a perfect game? No, absolutely not. Do I think it's a good game? Honestly, I don't know. Did I enjoy my time with it? I absolutely did, and that's really all that matters. For all its faults, there's a solid gem underneath the crust. What other game has the sheer audacity to roll credits over a rendition of Frank Sinatra's My Way? I probably laughed for a solid five minutes as the song blasted over my speakers. Nick Fontana, also from the Patreon, says, If you've ever seen Tommy Wiseau's The Room, then you know what to expect in Stranger of Paradise in regards to the writing and characters. It's unabashedly B-movie schlock, and it knows it. To be honest, the story feels like a deliberate parody of JRPGs that have come before it, given how the main character Jack reacts to things, and I'm honestly thankful for it. Jack ends up bringing a lot of the charm and humor that this game offers. Even if you're not on board with how the stories and characters are presented, I think there's a good combat system here, with a lot of variety and mechanics to engage in. My big gripe, though, is that there are features such as upgrading your weapons or talking with NPCs that are either pointless or more trouble than they're worth. And the loot! There's a ton of loot, but none of it feels satisfying to get when they just offer higher damage or .001 resistance to magic, for example. Hmm. Despite my gripes, I found the gameplay to be fun and great for short pick-up-and-play sessions after work. We've got a uh, nice long piece. I really liked this one from uh, Wu King Long from the forum, who says, I knew Stranger Paradise was up my alley and went in expecting to like it. However, I did not imagine it would become my favorite entry in the franchise. It is, though, for a myriad of reasons. The combat is the closest to what my young self thought Final Fantasy XV would play like from trailers back when it was still called Final Fantasy XIII Versus. The music rocks, and the story is both enjoyable as a surface-level over-the-top romp, but when you delve into it, contains metatextual elements that make for a deeper experience. I have seen some reviews touch upon the metatextual nature of the game. Unfortunately, I can no longer locate the one I wanted to reference when sitting down, so I will do my best to highlight the points it made from memory. I like Jack as a stand-in for players of a certain disposition that want to get past the story and kill the big monsters. I love the level referencing Final Fantasy XIII, with this verdant, lush environment that funnels you through claustrophobic, narrow passageways when the setting seems to logically suggest you should be able to explore more freely, all while Final Fantasy XIII's main refrain is hinted at in the accompanying track. I literally did a double-take when I heard it, past hallway-induced video game trauma bubbling up. And that's the real core of why I love this more than any other Final Fantasy game I've played in the past 20-plus years. Sappy as it may sound, it made me feel things with much more regularity than most games do. Seeing locations from pre-3D titles in the franchise rendered in loving detail was sheer joy. The Floating Continent from Six and the Crystal Tower were some favorites to see imagined in 3D, to name a few. I was laughing at the surface-level silliness of the plot while also impressed how they managed to make Jack come off as not only a group, a grumpy goof that everyone loves for no reason, Max Charisma stat, I guess, but also somewhat of a selfless, clever planner who manages to orchestrate a scenario to overthrow deity-like powers while constantly forgetting everything over and over again. This desire instigated by meeting someone in an even worse situation than himself that he wanted to help. The sensation of conquering some of the iconic bosses, especially when I was very poorly geared, was exhilarating. 
As a big fan of the original Final Fantasy, some of the bosses were quite nostalgic on a personal level. The DLC had some wonderful fan service battles as well. Final Fantasy 1 Bahamut, Gilgamesh, Warrior of Light, and the freaking Emperor from Final Fantasy 2. Good old Greg is even a summonable ally who performs one devastating attack in the final DLC. The final ending even ties into Dissidia, which makes me want to echo a sentiment I've heard on Kanan Rinse before. It feels as if the game was made for me. Alas, nothing is perfect, and there is one aspect of the game I feel could be improved to make it a better experience for any player. The gearing system is very fun once you understand it, but poorly explained. Arguably, not even explained at all. After completing the base game, I had to make liberal use of extra mode to clear the story portion of the first DLC. I then had to do my homework for an hour or so to learn how to make a build and how to farm it. I've clocked over 2,600 hours in Path of Exile, and even I felt the barrier to engaging with the game's deeper systems was far too obtuse. It wasn't anywhere near enough to dampen my love for this game, but it did give me a good reference for understanding why many people bounced off it so hard. TLDR, I love this game and think it's the best. And our final piece of correspondence from the Patreon, this is Dave Jackson, who says... I play a lot of games, and not all of them can be 10 out of 10 masterpieces, so the other ones that really stick out are those 7 out of 10 games that do something unique. And it just so happens that Stranger of Paradise is the only game I've played with a protagonist who feels like he just got pulled out of a Limp Biscuit concert crowd. Jack absolutely steals the show if you're up for his shtick, doing what we all wish game protagonists would do. Focus on the main quest, interrupt boss monologues, and walk out of conversations listening to Dollar Store Lincoln Park. I loved this game because of Jack. My only wish was that they let him cook more, and it's disappointing to know we probably won't see Jack again unless Nomura finds a way to squeeze him into Kingdom Hearts. Thank you so much to all of our correspondents. This was um, really wonderful to read. Some of I was not expecting the positivity that we got from a lot of people, so uh, it was it was really kind of nice. We also have some three-word reviews. You can follow us on Twitter at Kane and Rinse, although this time around, we really didn't get much on Twitter. So um, some of these are from our forum as well, but we take both. So uh, these are our three-word reviews. From Andrew Elmore, go wild, Jed. <laughs> <laughs> Wuking Long says, best Final Fantasy. And Tales from the Backlog says, let Jack cook. So this is a quite a game um i was gonna say confusing and it is that but um it, it's complex i think and I, I think it's gonna lead to a lot of complex feelings but uh let's see if we can uh work ourselves around to uh talk about it a little bit and see if we can summarize our thoughts uh chris i would like for you to go first stranger of paradise final fantasy origins for me is and this is a trite phrase and a phrase not often understood but let's say it anyway it's greater than the sum of its parts. There is so much to this game. It rewards repeat play like few other games do. Yes, there's a story and there's an experience and characters to go through, but you can re-go through that in a completely different way and it encourages you to do that. And there's so, so many layers to this. You can play different character types, different jobs, and you can... Have different the word different. Here we go. Said about twenty times. Um, it is a very different game, and I'm so so happy that I happened upon it in the great spreadsheet that is Kane and Rinse. Because I could have scanned past one. Oh, oh no, I don't want to do a an adjunct to Final Fantasy. I'd much rather play a regular one. But no, I was right to stop. Something told me that I should play this game, and I did. And I love the fact 
that um, uh, someone picked up on. Uh, it was um, the, the yeah, uh, long long um, when he's talk, talking about um, the, the the meta aspect of the the adventure and the characters and the fact that yes, there's way more to the story as I talked about earlier. It's much deeper than people give it credit. If you just pay the first hour, yes, you'd be forgiven thinking it's a terribly written two-dimensional characters, but there's no, no, there's, and for me, that basically mirrors the game itself. Because if you just play the first hour or so, and let's say, oh, that, that's, that's it for me. I, I don't think I'm really up for this. You're missing out on so much. It, this is a very, very, interesting and important game i think sounds a bit profound and a bit pretentious and i don't care so i'm here for i guess but i i thoroughly enjoyed myself with it and i'm looking forward to delving into it uh deeper than i currently have i've only played it once through on the standard difficulty so yeah um big thumbs up from me thoroughly enjoyed it and uh whoever put this up well, it would be Leah, wouldn't it um whoever put this did indeed yeah Leah, thank you, thank you for for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Um, this this is why I play video games. So thank you. Oh, that's high praise there. I um I too enjoyed this game a lot. Uh, I didn't put it up for this volume because I think it's one of my favorite games, or or that it's a perfect game in any way. But I, there's something to it. it it's different. I've played a lot of Final Fantasy, like a lot of Final Fantasy, and I've played a lot of the spinoffs and. I, I, I far from having played everything, but I, I think I'm, I am probably, well, I'm definitely the one on the team who has played the most of it. And I, I am, I'm really happy that they continue to mess with it. Like that they don't just let it lie, that it's not just something that is, you know, okay, well, it's, it's um, a JRPG forever and for always. And that's the only thing you're ever going to get out of it. I, I really like that Final Fantasy is, something that they can take a couple of risks on from time to time. And, and I, I know it's kind of their cash cow or one of their cash cows, but it's, it, it's, it's fun. I, I, I really like that about it and and about this game in particular. I, like I said, I, I think I'm kind of in the perfect target zone for it because I really do enjoy both kind of halves of the game the both the the kind of neo combat half and the final fantasy ridiculous story half they both have problems sure but i'm i'm willing to overlook that for the most part and just have fun with it and i am far from having wrung every bit out of this game i'm still kind of thinking and the more we talk the more i'm thinking maybe i will go back and try some of the dlc and we'll see you know just how that goes because i i, I am kind of interested to see how it all wraps up uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know I if that's going to happen or how far that's going to happen, but I might give it a shot. It's still, I have a disc copy, so it's still sitting in my PlayStation 5. Uh, but overall, yeah, I, I really like this game. Um, I, I I don't know that I would, well, I, I would not unilaterally recommend it, but I think that it is worth giving a shot if any of this has sounded appealing to you. Don't be put off by the fact that it's, maybe a and, and i'll use my final set of air quotes here uh irreverent take on the stories that you may have heard before that's not the full point of this game and i i think it's doing it a disservice to 
to really just dismiss it because of that. So uh, if if this has been interesting at all, I do recommend it. Uh, and yeah, I just, I think, let yourself enjoy it how you like and know that there's different ways if you choose to do so. Rich. It's one of few platinum trophies that I actually do have. Uh, and I'm really proud of that because um, I think it says something about the game. It probably also says a little bit about myself. I also identify as somebody who was in the crosshairs for, for this game because of the, the makers and then the actual subject matter it deals with and, and the IP that it cribs from seem to combine into something that just triggers me and actually activates my interests. But, you know, I, I think it's fascinating. In general, you know, it seems to be a game that is such a kind of like, in terms of conversation, such a dichotomy it's like oxymoronic as well. A lot of people both love and hate it in equal measure. People have bounced off it, but also enjoyed what they've played in in the same instance. And that's it's like a really fascinating approach because I don't know many people that have bad things to say about it, but also at the same time, I know a lot of people have very, very descriptive terms to write about exactly how bad it is. The writing's pretty poor. The kind of like subject matter just seems to be a little bit rote and, and predictable and almost a little bit eye rolling, but it, it it it's just something that I admire greatly. I think it's like Schrodinger's game in that respect. It's both excellent and terrible, depending on which box you open at any given moment in time. Um, but what I will say is my experience would suggest that the more time you want to invest in this game, the more uh, quality you're going to get out of it. And it's probably more than likely going to kind of give you a nice, like, healthy view of exactly what they were trying to achieve. I think my Biden thought is that um, it's possibly not as successful as it could have been. And I guess from my instinct it might be because it's trying to clash an ip with an ideology and i suppose by that i mean like a game engine and a game style that aren't compatible i think it's weak because it compromises something whether that's the final fantasy of it or the neo stroke team ninja of it who knows that'll probably depend on you as the individual but I think there was a way to carve through this game with just a little bit more time and a little bit more thought that could have made it something very, very, very polished. And it's a little bit of a shame that we didn't quite get that. However, if you can overlook it, then I'm certain that it's something that you'll enjoy. I, I think the world of this game, I think it's wonderful. Um, and I guess my closing thought would be, I, I haven't gone back to the DLC. I know what Team Ninja DLC is like. It's like the kitchen sink. Everything gets thrown at you. And I just didn't have the kind of mental capacity to deal with that ahead of the show. But reading through some of the forum correspondence, especially that from Wuking Long, I think I'll, I'll certainly go back and deal with it because it sounds wonderful. And uh, yeah, one one final thought is I think it's probably probably raised my estimation of Final Fantasy One, and I'm not entirely sure why. But uh, there you go. Presumably, something's osmosed in my my tiny brain. Uh, yeah, I'm just really pleased you brought it there. It's an excellent pick for a volume and a great conversation. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh... With that, it just remains for me, Leah, to thank Chris and Rich, who is also editing this one. Uh, good luck. As well as our correspondents, and of course, all of you for listening. Next time, in Kanan Rinse issue 564, mix it up with Leon, McKeel, Carl, and guest Dan Clark as they dive into Fighters Mega Mix. Mega Mix.